welcome uh, tonight. We we uh, we want to introduce you with Jin Chao, and it's a common uh, event between the insurance club that I run and the crypto club that Olivier uh, runs. Um, a few words about the crypto club, uh, Olivier. Well, very, very briefly, uh, the crypto club was created about uh, a year ago, and we are aiming in, in uh, organizing events, but at the moment we have organized only one and this one tonight. But we, what we are doing is we are publishing a, a crypto newsletter every week. Uh, so if you are interested, I will send you uh, the, the link uh, in the chat. Uh, you send me an email. Uh, I will receive the, the, the newsletter. And also there is a WhatsApp thread for uh, crypto enthusiasts. Uh, so I can also send you uh, the, the thread, uh, the registration to the thread. That's all. And, and so I run the insurance club uh, focusing more on Web3 uh, in the next uh, two, three months because Web Summit is coming and we're working a lot on Web3 insurance how Web3 technology will impact the world of insurance. <laughs> and so tonight is my great pleasure to introduce you with Jin Chow. So I came to know Jin a few months ago. Uh, he's the creator of Binance Labs, the venture arm of Binance. He's also the ex-chief strategy officer, but he'll tell you more in a minute. And uh, he just know uh, about uh, anything and everything in, uh, in the crypto world. So Jin, can you give you a, give your bio and introduce yourself? Okay. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks for setting the expectation level so high. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try and reset the bar lower. Um, but uh, thank you everybody for, for joining. And uh, I'll, I'll just give a, a few comments on my background, my experience at Binance, what I'm working on these days. Uh, we're fresh off of Binance blockchain week, which just wrapped up uh, a couple hours ago. And we're also fresh off of a, a large crypto event with the ETH merge. Uh, which appears to be successful and trading started. I, I see volume is up 25% uh, already for today. Um, and I saw some of the questions that have already been entered into the group. So happy to address some of those. Um, well, so again, my name is Jin Chow. I am the former strategy officer at Binance. I joined Binance in 2018. Uh, and during that time, I, I ran Binance Labs uh, from its inception through the first two years, uh, and uh, it's since been handed off to some other uh, executives, uh, and my role evolved into uh, developing a, a few things for Binance, including the acquisition of CoinMarketCap, which we closed in 2020, uh, the launch of uh, um, uh, an NFT marketplace, uh, both an on-chain and off-chain market, uh, as well as uh, taking a role as the board, uh, I was an uh, assigned board member for Binance US. Uh, and since I've stepped down, I'm now an, an independent board member for Binance US. Um, and when I did step down in March, I launched a company called No Limit Holdings. Um, it's an, an investment fund focused on crypto, and we are now uh, raising our first fund of which we've done an initial close. Uh, and are actively investing in projects, um, really replicating what I did at Binance uh, uh, Labs. Um, before maybe I get to that, I'll just talk a little bit about my personal journey. It seems like a lot of people are, are ranging here from, from mid to late career um, and might be curious. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm American uh, by my accent. I was actually born in Europe, in Denmark, moved to the States when I was quite young, grew up there, and my career route was uh, doing after university, was management consulting. I went back to business school. I was an investment banker during the dot-com boom back in 99. So the original Yahoo, Google uh, timeframe, uh, I was doing internet banking out of San Francisco. Uh, I then went into uh, private equity for eight years with hard assets uh, like real estate portfolios. And then during the financial crisis, uh, 2008 into 2009, I, I moved to Shanghai, where I then did corporate development for some multinationals, uh, most notably uh, Dell Computer, and then uh, at NBA China, uh, the National Basketball Association, uh, before joining Binance. <clears throat> and so you may ask, how did that happen, <laughs> going from the NBA to Binance? And so there's a little bit of a story behind why my firm is called No Limit Holdings, it's because in 2009, 2010, when I first moved to China, I started uh, playing poker with a lot of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and investment bankers. And among us was CZ, who was the founder of Binance. 
uh, Bobby Lee, who is a founder of BTC China, uh, Ron Cao, who was a managing partner at Lightspeed uh, Ventures, and he wrote the first venture check, to my knowledge, into crypto. Uh, and so it, it was pretty amazing looking back at that time to be in a room with now, you know, quite, quite legendary people in crypto. Uh, and so that's where my journey began. Um, I dabbled in crypto for a while. I kept in touch with CZ. We were close friends for, for many years. And then when I moved to Beijing to join MBA, he moved to Beijing to join blockchain.info, eventually uh, OKCoin, OK which is now known as OKX. And then he launched Binance in 2017, uh, which is when he asked me to join as chief compliance officer which I very quickly declined because I'm not a lawyer and uh, no, don't know that much about compliance. And so I joined a year later uh, when we launched Binance Labs to invest in um, early stage projects uh, to really grow the ecosystem. Uh, so that's where Limit Holdings comes from. Uh, that's also why I was one year late to Binance and that's also why I'm $50 million poorer, uh, but that's, uh, that's such is life. Um, the... Uh, the time I spent at Binance has been amazing. So I, I've been there for, uh, you know, full time for over three years. And now as a, as a director for the last uh, uh, you know, couple quarters, um, working there has probably been equivalent to my prior 15 years of work combined, because this is an industry that does not sleep. It's 24 seven and, uh, and it, it's not going to shut off <laughs> anytime. Uh, so at labs in 2018, 2019, <clears throat> this was, Keep in mind, this was the dead of crypto winter. So for, for those of you who've been following crypto for a while, you know you know that right now we are in a crypto winter. Uh, we've The Bitcoin's come down from a peak of 70,000 last November uh, to a low of 17.7 uh, a couple months ago. And we're still sort of floating in that 20-ish range. And uh, I can see there's right now in the market some sell-off pressure uh, coming off of the successful merge. So I, I suspect that we're be in this uh, period, and this is actually the best time to be deploying capital into new projects. So from 2018, mid-2018 to mid-2019, um, the, the, our best performing projects were done. So overall, we made 40 investments, uh, $35 million off the balance sheet, and that returned over three years, uh, $1.8 billion. Uh, so that's about a 50x. But if you look at the investments that we made from mid-2018 to mid-2019, there were five that returned over 100x. Um, of those five, four returned over 200x. Of those four, one returned over 1,000x. And those were all done during the dead of crypto winter, which again is where we are uh, today. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to, with that in mind, uh, I'll, I'll open up to questions, but I think a lot of them are going to be around um, where we are now in the cycle, which again, we've entered the fifth cycle, what kind of trends might be different this time around. And I know, I think a number of you are coming from an insurance background. So uh, feel free to ask about that. I can talk about some of the projects that we've seen in this space and what I would expect it to evolve into uh, going forward. Um, so I'll, I'll end my comments there and, and, and just open it up if, if, uh, if you will. Okay, Olivier, do you have any questions uh, for the club? I have plenty of questions. At the moment, we don't have any questions in, in, uh, in the chat, but you might ask questions in the chat or simply raise your hand and ask your question with, uh, with the microphone. I will start with the first question because you, you mentioned investments. Uh, we've seen that the, the, the investment trend at the moment is much more toward uh, gaming and NFTs uh so do you think that this is a cyclical uh trend or do you think this is structural i mean uh, we know we had this crisis with a lack of trust in in projects uh, DeFi projects etc so maybe it's simply cyclical and and we have a lack of trust in these uh, projects or maybe it's it's deeper than that and it's the, the arrival of the new world uh, gaming and NFTs mm. uh, uh, in, in the trend of the, of the 2021 NFTs trend. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both, and I don't mean to hedge that to be uh, uh, to give a non-answer. Um, what I mean is that this is part of the overall adoption of the technology. So fundamentally, all we're talking about here is a, a new technology in blockchain uh, of which anything with token economics can go on that, and we call that a cryptocurrency. 
Um, so if you liken this to the internet, um, we are sort of in the mid nineties uh, of the internet from a penetration rate, we're sort of around 1998. But from an application development rate, we're actually probably mid-90s. So what that means is that the last cycle, uh, the bulk of our investments at Binance Labs was along the infrastructure layer. So they were solving things like um, sharding, scaling, uh, increasing uh, transaction per second time, uh, developing smart contracts, um, uh, privacy protocols, things like that. Um, and then now we're, we're, we're entering the first stage of the application layer, which is where you see DeFi emerging, where you see NFTs emerging, where you now see keep hearing about metaverse, but that's still quite undefined. And of course, gaming. Gaming is a very logical application because it's digitally native. Um, putting it on chain actually creates a lot of benefits to users uh, as far as uh, virtual goods, transferability, being able to, to monetize that in secondary markets, et cetera. So it's a, it's a natural application. The business models, however, should not be any different than uh, if you were to apply any other technology. So one thing that we've seen come and go is this model called play to earn, which um, uh, is, is a little bit, um, I, I wouldn't say it's not successful, but it, there hasn't been a, a sustainable uh, application for it yet. Um, gaming fundamentally should be fun to play. People should want to play it and should be willing to uh, perhaps either invest their time or invest their money to play it, as opposed to a game saying, hey, we will pay you to play my game. Uh, so, so just because it's a new technology doesn't mean you can fundamentally change the value proposition. You need to use this technology to make something faster, better, cheaper, more convenient, uh, what have you. There needs to be some kind of value creation. So you can't sort of make up a new business model all of a sudden. Um, so I do think gaming, this it's a logical application for early stage applications. Uh, but I also think there's a little bit of cyclicality because we're going to see this uh, shift from play to earn into more serious games coming on. You're going to see a lot of traditional games that are now coming on chain, as well as the next generation of new games being developed will be uh, a little bit more targeted for actual gamers, as opposed to trying to convince people to, to be gamers. Um, so uh, hopefully that that answers your question. Uh, but I, I, I don't think it's a um, come and gone thing. I think this is the, the first iteration of, of gaming applications. OK, hopefully if you if we are in the 1980s, uh, in 98, I hope we won't have the, the, the crisis of 2001, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's another story. Oh, we, we, will, sure. we, we will, for sure. <laughs> we will have further crisis. Okay, we have a first question in the chat, and, and then we have Nipun and Céline who have raised their hands. The, the question is from Cedric, and basically Cedric is, is uh, launching a new game, uh, so he's probably interested in the answer. We, we, you, you, given uh, right now. Cedric, do you want to ask your question on live or do you want me to reproduce it? Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you, uh, Gene, for the, for the intro and uh, the answer on the gaming. Actually, it already answers part of the questions I had before uh, around Axie Infinity's future and this, this kind of thing also. Um, but more on what's happening now uh, in terms of Ethereum uh, evolution. Um, how do you see that uh, in terms of, um, of uh, shift? Um, I think Ethereum is, uh, if I understand well, is uh, moving from a proof of uh, uh, work to proof of stake. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's successful, uh, do you see uh, what, what does it mean? What, what, I mean, you don't have a crystal ball, obviously, but uh, what will happen or what could happen? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you real time what will happen because uh, it's completed. The merge is completed. It's been successful. And I can tell you that, uh, as I mentioned at the start, exchange volumes are up, you know, 23% uh, on Binance, 80% on Bing. Yeah, so it's about 25% uh, increase in volume. But that, that's because volume was actually down the last couple of days. A lot of centralized exchanges were taking precautions and um, locking deposits and withdrawals to avoid <clears throat> chaotic market situations, but the merge has been complete. Uh, as far as we can tell, it's, it's successful. Uh, right now you're seeing a little bit of a sell-off in the market and that's largely because traders have been long ETH and uh, short the perpetual. So uh, what you're seeing is a hedged position that's unwinding, which is why market transaction volumes are up and uh, ETH prices have dipped. 
Um, so that's what's happening right now uh, as we speak. And uh, but what does that really mean? What that means long term <clears throat> is that the um, transaction fees on Ethereum will come down. So the gas fees have come down. That was the whole reason why they they made the shift. And uh, theoretically, that means that applications running on ETH will provide users with with uh, you know cheaper fees. Um, so that should be good. Uh, it also should be good for a lot of the layer ones that are forks of Ethereum. Um, that said, uh, everything that's on chain right now still has some fundamental bottlenecks as far as uh, using crypto for day-to-day -day payments. So there, there aren't any protocols that can, for example, compete with um, the Visa network that, that can do, say, like a million transactions per second. Uh, uh, largely, on-chain transactions are limited to maybe 10,000 transactions per second, sufficient for, for many things, but not for sort of global day-to-day -day payments if, if, if everyone's using the network at once. Um, so that will uh, that that's being also addressed by next generation layer ones and infrastructure. It's sort of like uh, cell phones in the early days. Um, if you think about one G, two G, three G, four G, and then capabilities, if you're trying to stream, you know, live stream YouTube on first generation network, it, it, it just never happens. So so that's that's the same type of thing that's happening, uh, where the infrastructure is going to be upgraded, and therefore the applications will become more robust. Yeah, just a, a last very specific one. Do you know whether uh, um, energy consumption is already tracked and the difference between the, the previous uh, protocol and the new one, whether we, we check, you know, around energy consumption or? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I don't have the exact numbers. I'm sure there are uh, uh, um, validators that track this and, and sort of public data that tracks this. But yes, that's also one of the results is this becomes more energy efficient. Um, but that that said, crypto before was much more energy efficient than the current system. So there, there's a little bit of a um, uh, sort of misunderstood uh, narrative around this that uh, you really have to compare apples to apples. So if you say, okay, this is how much uh, it costs to get a mining machine and how much electricity it takes to mine one Bitcoin, yes, it's going to be a big number. But if you think about the whole system, uh, that 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 all the inputs that go in, the outputs that come out, and then you compare that to tr the traditional banking system, all the inputs that go in and the outputs that go out, uh, crypto is, is is far far more efficient. Um, and just one statistic: the entire market cap of crypto today is one trillion dollars. At its peak last year, it was three trillion dollars. Um, the annual spend for retail banks globally on IT infrastructure alone is six hundred billion dollars. So that's an annual expense. Uh, just on IT infrastructure. So not including staff, not including real estate, not including every downtown office tower where you see a, a bank logo on it. So uh, so again, if you compare system to system, uh, crypto is far more efficient. Okay, so thank you. Uh, we have a question from Nipun <laughs> first and Celine then. Hi, Jin. Um, yeah, hi there. Uh, I, didn't, I, I, I do have a lot of questions, but I'll keep it short for because I appreciate everyone's uh, on your end. They've got many questions. Uh, my first question is regarding um, the actual regulatory environment for cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, from, from the introduction of uh, CBDCs that central banks are perhaps trying to push on uh, to just general access to uh, cryptos, um, you know, like a fiat on off ramp uh, taxation and even even having to give out our personal data for, you know, uh, wallets when we transfer from one, you know, maybe a, an exchange to a self-custody wallet or to another place. How do you see that impacting the market in the longer run? And do you see any chance for collaboration rather than, um, you know, destroying what I feel is innovation? Yeah, um, so th th that's a tough one because it's a very broad question. I'm, I'm going to repeat yeah. a little bit of what I heard from CZ today and then also tap into a little bit of my, my own experience being on the board of Binance US. But um, <clears throat> look, cri crypto is a global uh, product, uh, a global service. Uh, but of course, um, the planet is still structured into 180 some, you know, uh, autonomous governments that have their own laws. And so, um, whether that's problematic or not, uh, it sort of depends on the angle that, that you look at. But I, I do think, you know, the EU is a great example of a region that had many, many different currencies and merged into one. And I'm so hopeful that that works out over the long term, because I think that that's the right direction. Um, <clears throat> so 
with that, how to how to kind of there, there's there's two sort of extremes, and then there's sort of moderations, right? So if you look at the spectrum, you have on one extreme countries that have um, you know failed central banks, and they recognize that they're failed central banks, and they've actually accepted Bitcoin as legal tender. Now think about that: so if you are now accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. That means if you're in that country using Bitcoin to pay for something, they have to accept that as payment. So that's the extreme angle, uh, the extreme end of the spectrum. And, and a couple of countries have done that, El Salvador, Venezuela. They recognize that their financial system is broken and, and, and they are adopted Bitcoin as, as legal tender. Pretty extreme on one end. On the other end, you have, have China, which um, wants to do their own digital RMB. Uh, and until that is launched, they've been very clear about not um, not getting rid of block. They're actually encouraging blockchain development, but they want it to be state run. Uh, and with that, they'll be able to then control capital inflows, outflows. They'll be able to control uh, blacklist, whitelist wallets. They'll be able to immediately tax transactions, sales tax. They'll be able to co immediately collect income tax. Uh, and so it's it's quite pragmatic. And I think in maybe some Western value systems feel that it infringes on privacy, but I think the benefits of that are also going to be tremendous. If you think about not needing uh, auditing firms anymore, not needing tax collections anymore, uh, and, and being able to have a little more control over your monetary policy. So I think when that happens, it'll be a really interesting case study for a lot of governments. And you know, even the US is already uh, toying around and, and has been discussing a, a digital US dollar. So. Uh, that's going to be really interesting. That, then you have where most of the world is today, which is really applying traditional regulations on banks into this into this new technology. So they understand AML KYC. Uh, so they say, okay, I apply that to banks, bank accounts. I now want to apply that to wallets. But what they don't understand is is fundamentally how wallet infrastructure is done, how airdrops are done, how staking is done, how forks are done. Um, and it's not their fault. Uh, they, it's, it's, it is sort of their job to understand these things, but you can't kind of expect them to learn and, and, and policy make as quickly as this industry is changing. So, and again, I'm echoing what CZ just said a couple hours ago on stage, is that it is really the job of companies like Binance and, and exchanges to, to educate. And that's what you've seen in France. Um, there's, there's been a lot of collaboration with the French government and, and uh, Binance, which is why you see uh, a, a large regional office here. Uh, and licensing here, we've we've had licensing in Spain, in Italy, and and if you think about where the countries are more embracing, so Dubai, Singapore, uh, etc., these are countries that generally peg their currency to a, a, another currency. And if you think about what those currencies are, it's U.S., which controls U.S. dollar, it's England, which controls pound sterling. Not to be too cavalier, but Germany has probably the largest say in, in Euro, and you have China, which has RMB. And so those are the countries that are the most, perhaps you could say, resistant at the moment. Um, but that said, uh, it's, it's, it's very recognized, for example, in the US, that they cannot afford to lose uh, this game in blockchain. They cannot afford to lose uh, any innovation edge. So they're certainly encouraging innovation. Their main motivation right now is KYC, AML, mainly for tax purposes, right? They want to collect their taxes. But as they understand how things are done, uh, they'll, they're going to need to change their, their uh, regulatory framework to adopt, especially when securities go on tokens, uh, stocks go on tokens, assets go on tokens, and things like that. Because right now, for example, uh, the, the, the test on whether or not something's a security is a 1930s Howey test uh, in the US, which, which, which came out of the 1930s. You, you can't have that kind of regulatory framework um, uh, making policy around you know 21st century technology. So it's a long-winded answer, but that's sort of yeah. where we are today. And it, you know it's going to change in another three months, and it'll be completely different. What I say in a year from now will we'll make could, could be completely different. Thank you very much. And just just to <laughs> finally just kind of top it off uh, for somebody who is looking to break into the the crypto industry, or you know, as they call Web three, which I think is it's very different, but um, you know, what avenues do you suggest kind of people go towards uh, with non non technical backgrounds? 
Uh, okay, so you, you caveat that with non-technical because my first answer was learn Rust, Solidity, and Move. These yeah. are the three programming language that, and you know, you, you don't have, you can come from a non-technical background and learn these things. I, I've seen uh, art history majors in, in a few years become pretty good programmers. So that is the number one uh, bottleneck right now. Um, there's about 300,000 Web3 developers. That's up 5x over one year. So uh, a, a year ago, there was only something like, say, 50, 60,000 Web3 web developers. Uh, that said, there's 25 million software developers globally. So you're going to see a huge flood of these developers retraining themselves onto these languages. And I think you're going to see a lot of non-developers training themselves on these languages, because I, I don't think they're, I haven't programmed since my engineering days, and I was, that's Fortran and C++, but I, I imagine uh, it, it, it can't be more difficult than, than, than those from a logic standpoint. So that, that would be the number one way. Um, the other way to do it is um, <clears throat> kind of take the traditional, I mean, uh, sort of do your own research, understand where the value creation is. Uh, and, and that's sort of key. There's a lot of projects out there that are really, it, it reminds me of the early internet days where people were just putting a .com at the end of anything to get a higher valuation. There's a lot of projects out there that, that, claim to be web three, claim to be crypto, but they're really not. They're, they're, they're just kind of wrapping their existing business and saying, okay, well, we're gonna accept crypto payments, which is great, it's good for adoption, but you're not uh, a web three business. So I would, I would just explore that and kind of see where you could fit in. Cause there's a lot of room for uh, business people in that adoption. There's a lot of room for marketing people. Uh, there's a lot of room. In fact, there's a lot of really good technologies out there that uh, haven't been marketed properly. And so therefore the adoption hasn't been there. Uh, and then there's also a lot of great projects that have done great jobs marketing, but then there's not much substance behind. So uh, again, I see a lot of similarities from the internet days. And so there's a lot of opportunities now, more so now than there were say uh, three, three to five years ago. Back then it was almost, you had to be a developer and build something. Um, that's still, I think the best route, but um, yeah, that, that uh, almost every industry has some Web3 application these days, so. Thank you. Yep, thank you. I said, Celine has a question, sorry. And then Jack. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, thank you for this uh, presentation. Um, I was wondering when I saw the the title of the presentation around the Web3 insurance. So I've been interested in the cryptocurrencies for a couple of years now. And we talk indeed a lot about NFT gaming metaverse right now. And there was also some events where money was lost with this tornado or Terra uh, value went down, etc. So a lot of, I think, trust issues or insecurities. So I was wondering how, what are the applications for Web3 insurance, which right. is for me, quite quite new and, and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the question, and I was waiting for that because I have a, a long-winded answer prepared. It seems most of my answers are long-winded. Well, I'll start with Terra. Um, so, so Terra uh, went through many security audits, and there were early, very early critics um, talking about the risk of exactly what happened. So Terra did exactly what the algorithm uh, intended it to do. Uh, when things were good and all assets were on the rise, it, it was this sort of uh, upward uh, feedback loop. And when prices were depressed and there was um, some sales pressure, it went into a, a downward spiral. Um, and so there were warnings about this. Uh, so people who understood the algorithm, people who had audited, gave warnings about this. So it was not fraud. Um, it was very transparent. It's just that the bulk of people didn't look at the code. They didn't look at the algorithm. They didn't look at the audits. Uh, that said, there, there is a place for insurance companies that who are experts to then put hedges on those, uh, both on the upside and the downside. So you're starting to see that now. Uh, there are some native crypto insurance algorithms to, to, uh, to manage exactly these risks. Um, so that's, that's a very native area. And I think that's an opportunity for insurance companies or even any new emerging company to provide those services because uh, this is complete blue ocean a white space, uh, a new market. Um, the second area, uh, and, and with regard to three years capital, that's a little bit of a different story. That was, I, I don't know how many people remember long-term capital management, uh, which was a huge hedge fund in the US back in the mid late nineties. And uh, it was a similar thing. They were Nobel prize winners, smartest capital in the room. Everyone 
from London to Paris to New York was uh, asset managers were giving them money. And then all of a sudden everyone realized everyone was giving the same person this money. Uh, and they blew up in the same way. Uh, they triggered, uh, I believe, the, the Asian uh, currency crisis, et cetera. It, it's almost an identical scenario. Uh, and so that was really a, a centrally managed uh, DeFi fund, ironically. Uh, and so that I, I don't think, I mean, you, you could insure something like that, but it would have been become almost like a, one of these too big to fail things where um, probably in, in that scenario, there's going to be some kind of a bailout. And I think one of the things that's nice about crypto, or maybe you don't want to call it nice, but very efficient about crypto is it's very, very brutally capitalistic. It's uh, if you're going to fail, the market lets you fail. If you're gonna succeed, the market lets you succeed. And then it's on to the next uh, iteration. Um, so uh, there is room for insurance plays in this space. Again, this is pure new market. The other uh, application I now see are what I'll call sort of web two and a half uh, models where you have traditional insurance, uh, you have projects that are proposing working with traditional insurance companies to say, okay, uh, if you want to sell health insurance, if you want to sell, sell car insurance, um, they are proposing to use cryptocurrency as a means of premiums, but also providing, uh, also paying out the claims. And apparently by tapping into a, a, a more liquid pool of assets, it can bring costs down. Now I'm not—I uh, don't know the business well enough, but the argument is that traditional insurance companies have a lot of illiquid assets that they park their money in, and then when they are claims, uh, there's cost to to um, making them liquid to pay out claims, and apparently uh, crypto can kind of solve this. I'm not quite sure where exactly on the value chain that works, but I've seen a, a, a couple of projects like this, and um, I'm, I'm doing due diligence actually on one of them. Um, so that's another one where it's sort of an interesting uh, hybrid of the two. And then there's the last piece, which uh, I can speak to as Binance specifically, where you have a traditional publicly traded insurance company in the US, and I won't mention the name, uh, that's providing deposit insurance to Binance. So they're basically saying as a Binance user, uh, I will insure up to say $25,000 uh, per account uh, uh, and, and this protects against, uh, I, I don't know, hacks. So they're basically underwriting the security of the wallet and saying, okay, this is the uh, sort of expected cost over a lifetime of, of what, what might leak or what might what might happen. And then they actually provide uh, deposit insurance. And so that's a very traditional service serving a, a new client. Uh, so those are the three things I'm seeing now, uh, but I, I really do think that that's the tip of the iceberg. I think, um, you know, Blockchain is actually a perfect technology for insurance, for uh, you know, algorithmic underwriting uh, and, and things like that. So um, yeah, and I'm happy to take any follow-on questions around insurance as well. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, thank you. We have a question from Jacques and then Bernardo. Hi, uh, thank you, Jean, for your time. Very interesting. and. Uh, they appreciate your uh, your availability. Um, so obviously, I guess you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, you could be described as a crypto believer, right? Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't do this job. And I'm I'm curious, as a you know, as a crypto believer, what's what's your uh, what would be your 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 beer case for the industry? So I I I, I, I am assuming that you have you know you uh, you have a pretty bullish vision, but oh. you know will Within the within the, the vision, what's the you know uh, worst case scenario? Worst case scenario within the bullish vision. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, my this this my I'm wearing a T-shirt, and this is sort of the tagline for Binance Exchange the world, and and, yeah. and I and I really do believe not that it's changing the world, but it is going to have significant impact on um, redistribution of wealth, uh, uh, um, financial service access to to globally. Um, two thirds of the planet is underbanked or unbanked. Um, so, so there is a uh, a lot of um, opportunity here. Same could be said for the internet. The internet democratized information. Um, I think uh, blockchain can democratize financial services and and many other things. So that's that's my bullish angle, and it's a little bit idealistic. But I'm sort of at that stage in my career where uh, I'm done chasing the money, and I'm trying to be a little more idealistic. The <clears throat> The bear case, it's, it's really interesting. Let's just assume that 
everything goes away and the only thing left is uh, decentralized protocols like uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, in, in that scenario, I, I would argue that uh, Bitcoin is, let's just take everything away and you're only left with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is one thing that you really cannot shut off. It's, it's sort of like the internet. There, there's, there's no ownership to it. There's no foundation to it. Ethereum actually has a foundation. Um, it's just code out there and uh, you really can't shut it off unless just the, the world just turns off electricity for a month, right? And so I think if that were to happen, crypto is the, the least of our worries. So in that case, I still think that at the very least, Bitcoin can become a, a digital gold. It will become a store value. Gold just doesn't make sense other than the fact that it has 5,000 years of history. You know, we dig this thing out of the ground and by and large, we put it back into the ground, into a safe. Um, yes, there's jewelry application. Yes, there's a few industrial applications, but by and large, there's no intrinsic value. To, well, there's no intrinsic value to almost everything, but um, uh, that, that's sort of a, a, a made up human concept, intrinsic value. But uh, yeah, so uh, Bitcoin uh, is completely transparent as far as its supply, it's auditable, it's, um, uh, uh, um, you can't counterfeit it, uh, and it's very transportable, uh, and it's very easy to use for transactions, it's very difficult to carry your wealth around in bars of gold, it's very difficult to pay for things in bars of gold. So with that as a worst case scenario, uh, gold is a $13 trillion commodity and Bitcoin today trades at $400 billion. So with, with that as the worst case scenario, all other cryptos go away. You still have an asset that's undervalued by 25X. So that, that's the way I would look at it. Oh, cool. hey, thank you. Th thank you. And Bernardo, you have a question? You're on mute. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, so um, my question is maybe in the opposite direction as uh, Philip's question. Um, more like in, in, in the bullish direction. So <laughs> That's case scenario. <laughs> we see that business models have been evolving quite fast. I mean, we have seen everything from uh, centralized exchanges to DeFi now and well, well um, and all sort of applications in Web3. Uh, and one thing, for example, um, so Binance has been stopped charging fees for Bitcoin, Ethereum, like in the last uh, few months already, I guess. Um, so the business models are evol evolving to earning sophisticated products uh, for <clears throat> institutional investors, uh, integrating DeFi wallets, Lightning, all sorts of things. Um, well, and, and not only Binance, and other exchanges also kind of uh, catching up in, in that direction. So um, my question is, what do you think the business is going after all of this that's, that's been happening? What is the way forward? What is the way forward for uh, the industry or, sorry? Yeah, yeah, for the industry, especially like business models from like centralized institutions and, and mm. then like from the ecosystem itself, yeah. I guess. It's, it's broader. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, again, a very broad question. And, and, and I, I thought you were going to ask me what's the best case scenario. I should have an answer for that. Um, <laughs> uh, because it's simple math. Um, yeah. It's just, if, if you're asking me how the industry will evolve. Wow. I mean, I, again, so, so first uh, you have to take perspective. Um, do you mean, how's it going to evolve in South America? How's it going to evolve in us, Western Europe? How's it going to evolve in Asia? Cause I think they're all going to take different paths. Mm -hmm. um, but let's just talk about sort of the short term, I guess. Uh, again, we're in the early stage of application layers, but now you're starting to see proposals that, um, yeah, for, for example, like the insurance, you're seeing a lot of web two companies or traditional, uh, businesses that have digitized and are now looking to go on, on chain. Now, not every business makes sense to go on chain and not every um, thing becomes better because it goes on chain. But what does become better are areas where you need transparency, you need uh, accountability, uh, you need uh, to share information uh, as opposed to keeping it private and uh, <clears throat> where you can have an audit trip, right? So, and, and, most businesses have some function where that's a good thing. Uh, it could be your supply chain, um, whether or not you're managing your suppliers or your customers up and down the value chain. And it could be uh, a permission system um, or it could be uh, something along 
uh, again, uh, payroll, I suppose, uh, with, with payments. Um, it, it has great applications for remittances. We see a lot of that uh, C2C remittances where crypto is being used. The next step would be for B2B, right? So trade finance, cross-border payments. This is a, a massive amount of transaction volume that goes cross-border between, again, suppliers, vendors, multinationals. You know, Apple has... I don't know how many billions of dollars parked in the U in, in China because they don't want to bring it on shore and, and pay taxes. Um, so trade finance is a, is a huge application. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of fees. There's a lot of middlemen um, involved in that. And that to me is a very, very logical place for multinationals to start uh, adoption and, and really reduce costs. Um, I, I still think banking uh, in almost any form is, is uh, a killer app for this. And, and that would include uh, financial services like insurance. Um, for things like NFTs, we're really just in the very, very beginning right now. It's just JPEGs. And you know it, it's sort of like the early stage of YouTube where I think the first videos on YouTube were, were cat videos, right? And everyone was like, okay, well, what's the purpose of this? Now you have all kinds of educational content, all kinds of um, news distribution on that. It's it's invaluable, uh, and I and I, I think um, NFTs will gradually go down that route. Where right now it's content, entertainment. Uh, eventually, uh, you can imagine uh, titles going on that. And what I mean by titles is you know the real estate titles, the title to your car. Imagine how easy it would be to, to transfer the title, to sell your car by transferring your title on chain and taking payment and you're done in a minute. Uh, and then that automatically getting registered to, to the local, uh, at least in the US, it's the DMV. I don't know what, what it's called here. Uh, same thing with uh, real estate transactions. Anyone that's purchased a house or even rental, uh, renting, um, all those things can happen on chain uh, and automatic. Um, relatively painless now with digital payments, but uh, with, with title transfers, it, it's still a little bit painful. And I think that's something that can move on chain. Uh, so that's sort of the short, medium term I, I, I see for some of these um, on the application layer. And then of course, things like gaming, digital content, metaverse, uh, they're just getting started right now. Um, but even large marketing agencies, uh, largest marketing agencies globally are now getting pushed by their clients who are allocating marketing dollars to 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 uh, do marketing campaigns and activations in the metaverse? Um, and one one clear example is Nike. Nike's pretty forward leaning when it comes to new technologies, and so they're they've been spending millions uh, on advertising and marketing campaigns in the metaverse. Uh, so that that I think is something that uh, will be a trend as well. Uh, that that's just the beginning. I yeah. could go on forever on this. Yeah, stuff. no, that's what. And, and actually, <laughs> if you want to ask me best case scenario, by the way, for Bitcoin, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the exact same exercise I did on that gold. Imagine every other cryptocurrency goes away. All that's left is Bitcoin. But then every asset class gets capitalized by Bitcoin. You're talking about four hundred trillion dollars worth of global assets sitting on twenty million tokens, which would imply uh, twenty million dollars per per Bitcoin. Uh, and this is assuming no more Bitcoins are, are, are lost in wallets. Uh, and this assumes that global assets stay at 400 trillion, which we know that's not true. That will continue in, to inflate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just a follow-up question on the first one. So you, you explained a lot of use cases for like maybe not that short term, but like maybe medium term, but specifically for exchanges and like the business models that we are seeing now, uh, what do you see the short term future? The short-term future for exchanges? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think right now it's pretty clear. Uh, just get more users. Um, so right now we're at a global penetration rate of low single digits. So when I joined Binance in 2018, I think there were only about uh, 100, no, less than 100, probably about 50 million active wallets globally. So that's half, maybe two thirds of a percent global penetration. Today, uh, there's some estimates of 300 million. So that would be about 5% penetration. Um, I don't know if those are individual users or not. So again, really early from an adoption standpoint. So again, you're talking about a $1 trillion market cap uh, with, you know, Two hundred million participants uh, at, at, at to be optimistic. It's probably more like a couple hundred million participants. So you're still looking at, you know, 
5x to get to a tipping point and 10x until we get to what you would call early mass adoption. Uh, so I think for the next five years, it's just going to be more conversion of users. Um, so how to get those users is, is another question. Um, you can see exchanges partnering with traditional financial institutions and converting. You can see potentially some uh, M&A happening uh, to acquire users uh, and, and along those lines. Now, you know, it, it, it can't just sort of be on, oh, we're just going to wait for everybody to sign up. There's going to be um, more scaled approaches to acquiring users, but there's a long way to go, long way to go. So uh, I, I would say we're five years away from mass adoption, early mass adoption, maybe. Uh, but we're not too far from a tipping point. Uh, I would argue that we get to 10% pretty quickly from here. Okay, uh, we you. are approaching uh, the end of the, of, the, of the time for this session. So uh, maybe we can take uh, one or two uh, last questions and we have two in the, in the chat. So uh, very different ones. The, 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 the first one is about uh, currencies. And which currencies do we should we have on our radar besides uh, Bitcoin and Ether? Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is about uh, fighting climate change. Uh, so how can crypto could help for fighting climate change? Oh, great, great, great questions. Um, well, the last one's a great question. Uh, the first one, I, I, I'm I'm not giving financial advice, so I, I hesitate. But what I would say, uh, other than do your own research, is yes, Bitcoin and Ethereum are sort of the staples at the moment. These are also the most decentralized. Um, I'm obviously biased towards Binance Coin, which has uh, actually been trading at an all-time high against Bitcoin for the last couple of months. Um, but that that makes sense given the business model. Uh, Bitcoin is becoming a smaller and smaller weighting of the entire crypto universe, whereas it used to be 80% weight, now it's only 40% weight. So, so that makes sense. So you just understand the business models. I mean, uh, crypto, it, it's just like stocks, right? Um, buy, buy what you know. Um, I own a Tesla. I think it's a great product. I think they're doing great things. I buy Tesla stock. It's done well. I use Apple phones. It's a great product. I buy Apple shares. It's done well for me. Um, all my friends that have kids all have Disney stock because they realize how much they spend on Disney stuff. So, so really, I would look at it that way. If you're not using crypto um, and you're not understanding the value creation, I would really hesitate to just blindly invest. Um, that's my advice across everything. Uh, so it's not unique to crypto. Um, but, you know, if you want to ask where do you start, um, look, start with the infrastructure. Start with the layer ones. Understand these layer ones are essentially like the operating system. So things like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, near these are like the, it's like the early mobile phone operating systems like iOS, Android, uh, you know, mobile Windows, Nokia used to have their own operating system. So figure out which one is going to attract the best applications, where the users are going. That's where the value creation uh, occurs. Um, and that's where we are right now. We have a lot of operating systems competing for applications. And then once applications gain large user bases, they're going to want to be available across all, all the uh, main operating systems. So right now, if you want an app, a very popular app, that app is no longer exclusive to Apple or Android. They're going to publish it on both. And if there's another significant uh, uh, user base, they'll, they'll, they'll publish it on that. Um, so that's, that's the simple analogy to make. Um, so start with the operating systems and then look at the application layers and see how they would help people day to day. Uh, if you don't see how they're helping people, um, I wouldn't wouldn't speculate. Well, the other thing I'll mention just on a portfolio structuring basis is that crypto is theoretically divorced from monetary policy. So ultimately, you can use it as a hedge. And, and from just a portfolio structuring standpoint, I would make the argument that depending on what age range you're in, you should have, call it two to maybe even up to 10% exposure uh, in, into this asset class. Uh, so may, maybe three to five to be more conservative, uh, depending on what your, your time horizon is. And then within that asset class, you can look at, um, all right, how, how risky do I wanna go? Bitcoin being lower risk and then <laughs> Dogecoin and memes, uh, you know, that they can, if you see some interest in that, go for it, but it's, you know, just make sure you're betting just money you're willing to lose. Um, 
again, but that's the same with, uh, I would give the exact same advice for your stock portfolio uh, allocation as well. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe, maybe those are some guidelines, but I don't want to provide any investment advice. Um, and then uh, on the other question on uh, the environmental, that, that's a great question. One thing that um, we're looking at uh, as a fund now is, uh, oh, my battery's about to die here, um, is uh, carbon credits. So carbon credits are moving on chain and it's a great application and it's actually very much a, a European driven market. So um, probably pretty relevant to you guys, but this is an area where the traditional registries don't really serve the stakeholders well. So um, the, co the corporates that wanna buy it, the shareholders that want to understand, uh, you know, if 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 corporates are actually living up to their pledges, um, it's all much more transparent, and 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 uh, uh, you can see, um, you know, who's bought what, and how much, and what kind of credit it is, and is it a you know carbon reduction credit? Is it a carbon removal credit? These are these are quite critical. So um, I think this is uh, the first step in the, in the right direction. Flow carbon has made a big splash in the U.S. I actually think. Um, that, that Europe should be leading uh, in this space. Um, so that's one example. Uh, and I think I, I can see other things going on chain, uh, whether it's solar, wind, or other energy credits as well. Okay, Min. Yeah, all right. We have to close because we are running out of time. Thank you very much. So one last word, uh, Jean is uh, launching a phone. So most people are happy when they do a 5x most vc are happy when they do a 10x um gene has done a 50x by combining uh the investments during the crypto winter and uh, if you want to invest in his fund uh, please let me know we uh we look at it as well so uh as, as investors um you know let's uh let's connect uh, you know how to reach uh olivia or myself and we can continue this conversation afterwards. Okay. Gene, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Your, uh, uh, very uh, very thoughtful questions. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. See you thank next you time guys. for the next Thanks. session. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Ciao, ciao. ciao.